Hi, welcome to our podcast. To learn more about Liverpool One Church, join us live, give financially and to get involved, head to liverpoolonechurch.com. We believe God wants to do great things in and through your life today. Enjoy this message. Wow, hey, good morning, Liverpool One Church. Why don't you guys go ahead and take your seats? It is so great to have every single one of you that is gathering in person, but also online joining us for church today. I am prayed up and just believing that God is going to just do something new. I'm always convinced that every single time that we gather together, that God is always able to speak into every single one of our lives. And this Sunday is no different to that. I trust that everybody's enjoying the bank holiday weekend, that you were all watching the coronation. I know that's a little bit of a contentious issue in certain parts of our area particularly, but um, you know what? I hope that you have got some fun planned for Monday. And man, you know what? Whenever there's a coronation like this, just think about it. I mean, the reality of it is, is that for some of us, this might be the only coronation we ever see. For some, we might see another. For others, you might have already seen Elizabeth II's. And the Bible is clear, actually, that we are to pray for those that lead over our nations. And non really dependent of your viewpoint of the monarchy or of royalty, I hope that actually what you consider most important is your fellowship of Jesus and your fellowship of outworking the Scriptures. And I trust that we're praying for our new King in this new season. We're going to be jumping into a brand new series in just a moment. But before we do, I've got a question that I want to ask each and every one of you, and then we're going to pray. But the question that I want to start off by asking you today is this, how many of you are here. Are you here? I know that you might be here physically, but are you really here? Like, is your mind here? Is your body engaged? Are you emotionally, have you come prepared to lift high the name of Jesus in church today? Are you ready to feed on what the Scriptures refer to as the bread of life? I mean, just think about that for a moment. The bread of life are the Scriptures that we read and it brings nourishment and sustenance to our bodies, but often the dependency on whether or, that, whether or not that comes to fruition is really about whether or not we're ready to partake and eat of the bread of life. Like, are you ready? Because if you are here... And if you are here now, engaged, man, I wanna say I am so deeply honoured that you are here, calling Liverpool One Church your home. I am glad that you are in the house of God today. If you are here online, I am glad that you are engaged, that you are ready, that you are here. And the reason why I'm asking you, are you here? Is because if we're gonna be really honest, some of you won't be here in just a short amount of time. In just, in some cases, in just a few minutes, some of you will no longer be here. I might have your attention right now, but for some of you, I'm not gonna keep your attention. And for some of you, you're about to check out and you're not gonna be here physically maybe, but not emotionally, not sort of intelligently. You're not kind of ready to, receive what God's going to do. And that's because it's so easy to check out of being here. Because for some of you, you won't be here 
because you're going to receive a text message. And that text message is going to demand your immediate response and you just can't cope seeing the green and white box on the iPhone. You've just got to hit it. Who is it that's trying to reach out for you? For others of you, you're going to be the one that in a few moments time, you're going to initiate the text message. I mean, even in church, can you imagine that? For some of you, you're going to reach into your phone, you're going to turn the screen on to dim and you're going to cup your hands ever so slightly so people will think that really you're on the YouVersion Bible app, but actually you're texting your friends like, hey, you want to do something later? For some of you, you're going to check out because you are genuinely going to be worried about what are we going to eat? Like, even though you have managed to successfully eat on every other Sunday that has been your entire lifespan so far, today, in a moment, you're going to worry about what are you going to eat? For others of you, you are overwhelmed with just the worries of life. You've got a financial situation going on and it's proving stressy. It's a problem for you. You've got bills that are coming out that you don't know how you're going to pay. For others of you, you've just noticed that in song two, the girl in front of you, two rows in front to the right hand side, when she was lifting up her worship hand, which was her left hand, you noticed there was no ring on the finger. And now you've like, you, you've completely checked out because you're like, I clocked that, I saw that, I'm gonna make a move there, right? And already you're thinking like, how am I gonna get in there? Like, I'm gonna, you know what? When the ushers send the buckets around later, I'm gonna move to one row behind her. And then as I lift my worship hand, I'm gonna just stroke the back of, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. Did that really, I'm so sorry, my bad. For others of you, you're trying to buy a new house, so you're just gonna be checking right move. Even though you've got the notifications on and they come to your phone, but like you're gonna secretly scroll through right move. And the reality of it is, is that you're just not really going to be here. You're here in person, but you're not really here. And oftentimes it's the things that we do most often that we're always gonna be more easily distracted from. And you know, when it comes to church, if doing church is what you do week in, week out, it's highly likely that at some point in the remaining time that we've got, the chances are that you're gonna check out and you're gonna no longer be here. You know, just before we pray, I wanna read a small passage of Scripture. And the context of this Scripture is, there has been a great big wedding party and crisis has happened because it was a huge offence in the days that the Scriptures were written for there to be a wedding and you were to run out of wine. It would be seen as something that would be a cause of offence because it would basically mean that you've not made the correct preparations. But there's this one passage of Scripture where they have this crisis happen and Jesus's mother actually turns around to him and she's like, hey, listen, here's the thing, Jesus, you need to sort this out. We've ran out of wine and um, you need to figure this out. And this is what the scriptures say in John 2, verse seven. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And by the way, these jars, they were, they were not like small wine bottles that you pick up from Tesco. These were like great, great big 30 litre vats and they filled them all with water. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquets. They did so. And the master of the banquet tested the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realise where it had come from through though the servants who had drawn the water knew. 
Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said these words, and these words are fascinating to me. He says that everybody brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. In other words, when everybody's drunk, that's when you bring out the cheaper wine because nobody realizes that we're on the cheap stuff now. I mean, we started out on the Chateau Neuf de Pap and now we're on the Lambrini. Like that was literally how this thing would work out. But he says that, you know what? Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till. And I wanna leave that word blank just for a moment because whenever I've read the scripture, do you know what I've always thought was inserted into that space? I always thought that it was the word last. Like you've saved the best until last. Like that's the, that's the phrase that we use, isn't it? That's what we're all aware of. That's what we think that this is recording in this scripture. But it's not the word that's used by the master of the wedding at all. When he's recounting the miracle that Jesus did in the lives of those that were amongst him, he says that you have saved the best until now. And my point is, is that I'm convinced that the best work that God wants to do in your life is now. It's today. It's in this minute. It's in this moment. But that doesn't happen unless you really engage and you truly decide to be here in this minute and in this moment because God is always drawn to movements. He's drawn to your movements. When you show willingness, when you show a heart that says, God, I want to hear from you now. I want your now word of God operating in my life. It can happen. And it's not that God only works in the latter stages of your life. Neither is it the truth that God does things in the later stages of your world. God's willing to operate and work now, but really it's dependent on whether or not you are here Now, so I want to convince you today that God's best work for you is going to be now, that God's will that He wants to reveal for your life is going to be now, and His plan that He has for your life is going to be now, but it's not going to happen if we keep getting distracted. And there's one really key way that we all live distracted. So I don't want you to miss out on what God's calling you to do in your life. So let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I just pray and ask that right now by your Holy Spirit that you would just help these words that I'm about to speak just come to life. Lord, I pray that you would help every single one of us to live life not distracted in the next 28 minutes. Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit today that you would just convey your bread of life into our world so that it not only makes sense, but it really makes a difference. Because we want to leave church today knowing and feeling and sensing like we have just heard from you. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. And together we all said... Amen. Okay, so we're kicking off a brand new series today and it's called Saving the Nation. And that's because over the next coming weeks, we're going to be looking at three key and significant nation words that if you omit from your life or at times if you include these nation words in your life, it can detrimentally and adversely affect your fellowship of Jesus. If you don't get rid of some of these things in your life, it can hinder and stop the way in which you figure out what God's will is for you now, today. So the first message that we're going to speak on is this idea about how you've got to rid you and your life of procrastination. Now, procrastination is this. It's putting off or intentionally putting off something that should be done. Or another idea is it's when you're slow or late about doing something that you know should be done. 
How many of you are serial procrastinators? Like you're just not able to always make a decision to figure things out. You like to put off until tomorrow that which you can actually do today. Well, hey, if you're a follower of Jesus, this is actually a problem because Scripture speaks about this issue, perhaps not directly using the word, but certainly in its theme, procrastination can be a huge problem, especially if you want to know what God is doing in your life now. Because oftentimes, if you procrastinate and you start to wonder and worry and become anxious and concerned about, well, what's God doing? Is this the Holy Spirit leading me? I have no clue what God's wanting me to do. What's His will for my life? What's His purpose for my life? The more we spend time procrastinating and not making a decision to move and to actually action something that we think God might be doing, it becomes a reason why we end up missing the very thing that God's wanting to do now in our our life. You know, one of the reasons why I absolutely love reading the Bible, I just love reading the Scriptures, and um, I guess there's many ways that you can do it now. I actually, at the beginning of the year, I bought a new Bible, and honestly, I don't like it. I don't like it because it feels so, like, new and hard, and it hasn't got, like, my scribble and scroll and highlighting and page turning, and it's just not got anything like that in it. But what I'm finding is that as I'm reading a new Bible, I'm seeing new things about Jesus that I've just never seen before. And one of the things that I've noticed about the very character of Jesus is this. Jesus was always fully engaged in the now moments that presented to him. When you read the accounts of Jesus, one of his most striking qualities is that he was always fully attentive to whoever it was that was stood in front of him, wherever he was. And in fact, the gospel stories are full and full and full of accounts that record this happening. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there's two stories that are found back to back that in our English translations of the Bible, they're only divided by our wanting to insert numbers to make it easier for us to read. But at the back end of Luke chapter 18 and at the start of Luke chapter 19, there's two instances where Jesus is really found just being right in the moment with whoever was in front of him, wherever he was at. At the back end of chapter 18, there is this story about how when Jesus was walking through Jericho, and yes, that is the same city that you might have heard about recounted in the Old Testament, because that was where Joshua and the armies of Israel, they gathered and walked around for seven days and eventually blew their trumpets and the walls all came trumbling down. I mean, crazy story. You can read that for yourself. But now Jesus is in the very same city of Jericho, and he's walking from one place to get to another place, and he has to travel through Jericho. And as he's traveling through Jericho, you've got to picture the scene. There were so many people just like hustling and bustling against Jesus. And his disciples knew that he had a place to go to. But as Jesus was going from one place to another place, there was a blind beggar stood on the side of the road who literally started to call out to Jesus. He started to call out to him and he shouts out to him, Jesus, have mercy on me. Now, the disciples didn't really want Jesus to stop. Now, the disciples had an agenda, they had a plan, they had a schedule that they were all trying to keep Jesus on. But Jesus is found in that moment stopping alongside and making a friend of this broke, blind beggar called Bartimaeus. I mean, he stopped for the guy that absolutely nobody else had time for. And what we see in the story is that Jesus conducted a miracle and the blind man received his sight back. I mean, what an amazing feat of a miracle that Jesus has actually just completed. 
But then at the start of the very next chapter in Luke chapter 19, there's the story of Zacchaeus who was the tax collector. But again, the scenario is kind of similar. We know that Jesus, as he's moving through the town, everybody was trying to gather near Jesus so much so that Zacchaeus, who was the short guy in the room, he had to climb a sycamore tree because he just wanted to see what on earth was going on. So the scripture tells us that Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man there was by the name of Zacchaeus and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. You know what I love about these two stories that we find completely back to back is that in Luke 18, there's a story of Jesus who stops in the now moment with the broke blind beggar. And in Luke 19, he stops in the now moment with the affluent wealthy Zacchaeus. I just love about Jesus that what we see from him is that he is willing to stop and give time and press pause and consider almost greater than himself any person that was put in front of him. And and it didn't really matter to him about your social economic standing. It didn't matter to him about what your net worth worth was or what your occupation was. Jesus was the same to the beggar as he was to the wealthy man. I mean, this is the Jesus that we follow. This is why I love being a part of Building Liverpool One Church, because we're existing to change lives for Christ one life at a time by really delivering a message that God's not interested in what you've done and where you've been and your past and your baggage and and your dirty laundry, no matter how dirty it is. He's just interested in having a now moment with you. So he stops and he calls Zacchaeus down. And Zacchaeus had an interesting job, really, because he was a, well, tax collectors in our sort of culture, in our age, they're quite respected, really. I mean, they might not be, you might not like them. You might not like the fact that they tax you. But the bottom line is they tend to be from an accountancy background. They tend to have studied. If somebody had a tax collecting job and they worked for HMRC, you would probably give them at least your respect. But this was not the culture that Jesus was operating in. And that was down to the fact that tax collectors were corrupt. What Zacchaeus was doing is that he would tax the people according to what the Roman government told him he should tax them by. And then he would add on an amount at the top. That's how he had gotten so wealthy. But in this moment, when Zacchaeus calls out to him, Jesus responds and calls him by name. And then they have this moment where Jesus is interacting with this no good sinner, and they end up just hanging out and doing dinner together. And the scriptures tell us that today in this moment, that salvation has come to his house. (laughs) Jesus was willing to stop from moving from where he was to where he wanted to get to, to be in the now moment with the people that were presented in front of him. Jesus was always fully engaged. I'm not always fully engaged. Have any of you husbands ever sat at the dining room table and your wife has maybe said to you like, hey, where are you? Like, I know that you're here physically, but you are away with the fairies. That is my life. Emma is always saying to me, like, I know that you're here, but like, I can tell, I can hear the, I can hear the cogs of your mind spinning. You're thinking about something or you're planning something. You're scheming th- something. And I'm like, yes, yeah, she's kind of right. I suffer from this problem. I know exactly what it's like, and maybe you do too, to be in the business meeting in work, to be around the table, and actually somebody asks you the question like, hey, I'm just checking in that you're okay. Like, I'm just checking that you're still here. You, you seem a little bit disengaged. Some of you know exactly what that tension is like. I've even found, and maybe you've experienced this too, that sometimes it's really easy to get distracted and miss the now moment in my fellowship of Jesus. 
In fact, in my faith life, I've found that I get distracted way too often. As I look back on my life, and I know that you're the same too, there are so many times where I know, feel and sense like I've just missed responding to what I think God's will was for me. There have been times where I literally think that I have missed the very thing that I think God has been asking me to do. Like sometimes, have you ever had one of those moments where you're in the petrol station and you feel this prompting to pay for the person's fuel behind you? And you're kind of, you're looking out on the forecourt and you're thinking, no way, they drive an Audi. There's no way I'm paying for their fuel, right? Like, have you ever had one of those moments? And then you walk out and you sit in your car having not done the thing. And as you sit in your car, you think, I really sense that God wanted me to do something then. Have you ever walked away from a conversation where you feel prompted to maybe encourage somebody or say something kind or go the extra mile or take them out and buy them dinner and you fail to exercise the opportunity and when you get home, you feel like, I just feel like I've missed out on doing the very thing that God wanted me to do in that moment. I know what that's like too. And I think that in part, the main reason why we miss out on the now moments of God is because we procrastinate. We try and weigh up like, is this God or is this me? Is this the Holy Spirit or is this my brain just doing overtime right now? Am I just making this up? Sometimes the best way to look at it is like, would you tell yourself to pay for somebody else's fuel? Of course you wouldn't. Then it's probably the Holy Spirit of God encouraging you to do something, be active in the moment to find His will and to follow His purpose. I mean, so many of us know what it's like to procrastinate to the extent where we miss the opportunity to do the right thing. Sometimes, even in our places of employment, we make the decision far too late about the team member that you know was a bad egg, but actually everybody else knew, but you just seemed to miss it. And you were just completely blindsided to it. And you procrastinate for weeks and the weeks turn into months. And by the time you eventually make the decision, the harm that they've done has just created carnage. You know what it's like sometimes for, I guess, just making the decision to not say sorry for something that you've done wrong and you know, to not apologize during the times when you've let your own pride get in the way, when you've not said sorry for being a sower of discord and just sowing seeds of gossip, and you've spoken about somebody in an incorrect manner. For some of you, we procrastinate sometimes that it just leaves us in this state of feeling completely inactive. And when you're inactive, you miss out on the now moments that God's wanting to create in your life. The scriptures don't really talk about procrastination in so much, but actually what's really interesting is that there is this theme by all of the writers that continually comes across that's just encouraging us to view our lives in a certain way. In fact, King David, he says this in Psalm 39. He says that you've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. That's how David viewed his life. And we should too. That our life is like that of just a breath. It's here one minute, it's gone the next. In fact, the Apostle James, who was the brother of Jesus, check that out. He records a similar thought in James 4 verse 14. He says that you are a mist that appears for a little while and vanishes. Like that's our life. 
And can you just imagine the kind of problems that we create for ourselves when we choose to live life procrastinating and being inactive and indecisive about something that God is maybe calling or asking you to do or be involved in? Especially if that's true, that your life, it's here for a while and then it just vanishes. Even the Apostle Paul warned us in Ephesians 5, he says, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Making the most of every opportunity. Like if you've got the opportunity to do good, then do good. If you've got the opportunity to respond to what you think God's asking you to do, then do that. If you get a sniff of this is what God's purpose is for your life, then you should pursue that. Why? Because the days are evil. I just don't want to live a life that misses out on all of the God moments that he has in store for me. And again, whilst the Bible doesn't necessarily clearly mention procrastination, there are many biblical principles that kind of apply to the dilemma that we all face. I think that sometimes we've got to understand that there are several reasons why we are indecisive about the moments of our life. I think the first reason why we often end up procrastinating about a whole load of stuff is because sometimes we're just a little bit lazy. Laziness sets in. In fact, the writer in Colossians 3 conveys this idea to us. He kind of encourages us to acknowledge the fact that because we're living our life out for God, whatever you do, don't be lazy. Don't put off until tomorrow something that you can do today. Sometimes one of the reasons why we end up procrastinating is because we just feel a little bit overwhelmed. Have you ever faced a set of circumstances where it feels to you like there are so many options, there are so many offers and avenues that you could go down and accept or decline? It just feels like everything's a little bit overwhelming, so you kind of end up doing nothing. The third reason that I think that we often end up procrastinating is because we get distracted we get distracted by social media, by Twitter, by Snapchat, by Instagram. Has anybody ever looked at the amount of times you've picked up your mobile phone in the settings? I mean, it is worrying. Like, I, don't do it when your wife's around. I encourage you, whatever you do, that could be detrimental to you. But like, check, how many times do you pick up your phone during the day? How many minutes do you spend on your phone every single day? Because the more you get distracted, the more you end up procrastinating. And actually, the Bible is quite clear that there are some things that we should not procrastinate about. For example, you shouldn't procrastinate or not make a decision about making up with a friend after a fight. Matthew 5 kind of recounts that. You shouldn't ever be willing to put off doing the right thing and making amends with somebody that's made you angry or maybe has even caused an offence for you. In fact, again, Matthew's gospel is really clear. There are some things that if you follow Jesus, you just can't procrastinate on. In fact, the gospels are clear as well that when it comes to sharing your faith, you shouldn't procrastinate about that. Like if you're the only person that knows you're a Christian in college, in uni, in work, in the hospital, in the workplace, the Bible's quite clear actually about this idea about God's building a great big party and a kingdom and he wants everybody to be involved. So you should go out quickly and bring people in. When it comes to sharing your faith, you shouldn't be considering that too long. You shouldn't be procrastinating about that. You should be willing to make the most of the moment that's right in front of you. But actually, when it comes to getting right with God, now this is not necessarily about sharing your faith, 
When it comes to you getting right in your relationship with God, that's not something that you want to dilly-dally about. Like that's not something that you want to wait too long on making a decision on. And in fact, scriptures again are quite clear that this is something that you've got to do ASAP. In fact, Hebrews 3 puts it like this. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, not tomorrow, not a time in the future, but today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. In other words, when it comes to getting right today with God, you've got to do it. If there's anything that you could possibly do to help somebody else get right with God, then you've got to do it today and not delay and not wait and not give countless amounts of time. Don't procrastinate about getting right with God. But I think that sometimes we've got to understand why is it that we often end up procrastinating about what God's will is for our lives? Like, why is it that we often miss the God moments that he's created for us? And I think that what I want to try and do is surmise from my own personal experience that I think is really proven to be true and accurate according to Scripture about how God has worked in my life and about how God has worked in many of the heroes of old and their lives and how his purpose has been brought to fruition. Because if he worked like that back then and he's working like this right now, maybe for you too, this is exactly the way that he's going to create opportunities for you to not miss out. And yet you often miss them because of the way in which they're packaged. Because when God's will is active and moving and apparent in your life, you're always going to find that God's will is three things. It's invisible, it's insignificant, and it's immediate at the same time. Invisible, insignificant, and immediate. It's invisible. In fact, when this church started, it was so invisible, nobody would have ever have guessed that it would become that which it started out as. There were just 10, 12 of us meeting in a living room, praying that God would one day use us to reach people for him. That's all this was. There was nothing great about it. There was nothing online about it. There was no press about it. There was no good press. There was no bad press either, but there was just nothing being written about it. It was invisible. And the only people that knew that God was up to something were those that were gathered in the living room. And yet now, what exists today is a place where you have made friends, where you have found husbands and wives, where you have chosen to follow Jesus. Some of you, although not quite literally, have made babies as a result of this church. And nobody would have known that that was ever going to happen back then unless we understood that the way that God works in your life and in mine can often appear somewhat invisible. There's nothing great about the way God works in the start of things. He's committed to working things out in the smallness of things. It's invisible. Or it's invisible like it was for the Apostle Paul, who when God called him and Paul started to write these letters to all of these churches that were all around the Mediterranean Rim, and when he would travel and he would preach and he would declare of God's goodness, even though he was the champion of those that were being arrested for the purpose of following Christ, and he was imprisoning them, 
God turned his life around so much, he would have had no idea at the times when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, what his book and letter would one day become for us. He had no idea that that which God was doing in the moment was one day gonna inspire all of Christendom. Why? Because it was invisible. Invisible like it was for Noah, who in the book of Genesis, we see that God asks of him to make his moment count. And he asks of him to make a boat, which is ironic because God's asking Noah to build a boat for a time and a season when there wasn't even such a thing as rain, because the Scriptures and even science points to this, that at that point in time, the ground was watered by the dew of the earth. There wasn't any rainfall, so Noah is building a boat at a time when there'd never really been a boat built before. So Noah is building a thing. He doesn't even know that what he's building is a boat. Noah is building a thing, and yet he had no clue at the time that through him being willing to follow God's will in that moment, it would one day literally save not only his family, but all of creation. It's just invisible. The way that God's will works is invisible. Like it was for years for David, who was sent out by his father as the lowly shepherd boy whilst his brothers had the best jobs. He was the one that was sent into the place of solitude and he would just have to protect and provide for the sheep, never knowing that one day the calling on his life would be that he would one day protect and provide for an entire nation. And whilst he was out just shepherding the flock. He, the Scriptures tell us, and this is so funny to me, it tells us how he would oftentimes have to wrestle away bears and lions that would try and attack the sheep that he was entrusted in protecting. And I mean, it's funny, isn't it? Because David was fighting bears and lions and he had no idea that he was going to draw on that same courage and confidence one day when he was going to stand tall and proud before the giant of Goliath. Why? Because the way in which God's will in your life works is it's often invisible. And when it's not invisible, it's insignificant. It's insignificant like Joseph, who for years spent years of his life in a prison, just doing prison jobs and prison chores for a crime that he didn't even commit. And all he did every single day was get up, go out of his cell, do his chores, go back to his cell for day after day and month after month and year after year. And Joseph, whilst he was in prison, in the same way that whilst he was in the pit, he had no idea that God was using that moment for God to get into Joseph everything that he would one day need to become the Prime Minister of Egypt because it starts insignificant. It's insignificant like the story of the prostitute Rahab who in returning her loyalty and her bravery to two soldiers that were scouting out the land before a giant attack on the land of Jericho. She was the one that hid them under some flax in the roof. She had no idea that through that brave act of kindness and that boldness would one day see her family being saved. It was just a piece of flax. It was just two spies, right? It was just insignificant or insignificant like the woman in the New Testament who when she gave of the coins that she had, the the Gospels recount how Jesus 
saw how she gave. It doesn't say that Jesus watched how much she gave. It tells us that that Jesus saw how she gave and that which she gave was all that she had and she brought it to him. She said, God, this is all I've got, but you can have it all. And that was the thing that Jesus witnessed. Out of everything that he could have seen and he could have passed comment on, it was her bringing her two seemingly insignificant coins was what caught the eye of Jesus. And when it's not insignificant, it's immediate. Like the way in which Jesus called out to Peter, James and John, who were just fishermen. They were going about the father's family business. And we know that they came from a wealthy, successful business because the business had servants. The business had people that were working in and around the operation. But it tells us that when Jesus called out to them and said, come and follow me, it tells that they, that they immediately left their nets. They didn't question it. They didn't want a meeting. They didn't want to confer with their father. They didn't want to discuss it with the wider community. They didn't want to put it out for a poll on Instagram. It just says that to the call of Christ, they immediately chose to leave their nets and follow him. It's immediate. It's immediate oftentimes like it is in the book of Acts when we see that Paul, who had been held back from preaching in many different regions all around the Mediterranean Rim, he has this vision of somebody calling him to come and speak and come and preach in a place called Macedonia. And the Scriptures tell us that when he received the vision, he immediately left for Macedonia. In other words, he didn't contemplate it. He didn't consider it so much that he was able to talk himself out of it. He just immediately did the thing that he believed God was calling him to do. There was no procrastination for these men of old about what God's will was for their life. And I just think that sometimes we've got to choose to live life on the edge a little bit more. And my question to you is this, if you are still here, will you live life in pursuit of what God's will is for you. Not your neighbour, not your parent, not your family or your friend, but for you. Will you choose to respond to that oftentimes still insignificant voice, oftentimes invisible voice, but you know it's happening in that moment? Will you choose to respond to that prompting by God? Hey, will you go and will you go say a kind word over there? Hey, will you go and apply for that job? Hey, will you take a risk and will you put a bid in for the thing? Hey, will you take a chance and will you employ that person? Hey, would you do the right thing and apologise? Because here's the bottom line, church. I don't want you to miss out on the moments that God is putting right on your lap because we talk ourselves out of it. Because don't, when we do, we just procrastinate and we forget and almost fail to realise that our life, your life, my life is that but a breath. Here one minute, gone the next. So in the time that God is gonna allocate to you, will you choose to not live a life of procrastination, but instead choose to pursue God and His purpose and His will for you and for your family in a way that you've never done before so that you don't miss out on any of the now moments that God has created for you. Liverpool One Church, let's stand to our feet. We're going to pray and then we're going to worship some more. Heavenly Father, whilst we're all still here, 
whilst we're all still engaged and switched on and wanting and willing to listen to your voice and find your word. I ask that you would help us to live a life that is decisive in our fellowship and our pursuit of you. Help us to be more like Jesus and be living in the moment with everyone that's in front of us, everywhere that we go. Help us to never miss a moment of your Holy Spirit's leading or prompting. Help us not to weigh up all of the different options so much that we talk ourselves out of it, that we choose inactivity when actually you're calling us to live a life of activity and movement and motion. Holy Spirit, would you help us to rid our fellowship of you of second guessing and procrastinating. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Just whilst every head is still bowed and every eye is still closed. Hey, listen, right now the band are gonna sing a song and we're gonna worship together. But before we do that, if you're just in church today or you're tuning in online and you've just never made a decision to follow Jesus and right now you know that the options for you are you can procrastinate about the whole thing. You can weigh the whole thing up. You can try and work it all out. You can wait until there is a point in time where you understand everything. But unfortunately, you don't follow Christ according to your understanding. You follow Christ according to your faith. And there's gonna come a point in time where you've gotta choose to follow Him. And that means that actually you're gonna trust in Him in a way that you can't always see and understand and depict clearly in your mind. But right now, online and in the room, if you've never made a decision to follow Christ, no more procrastinating about it. No more dilly-dallying about, but today's the day that you wanna put your hope in Jesus Christ. And I'm gonna pray this prayer and invite you to pray this after me. Father in heaven, I come to you today and I'm giving you my life. I wanna give you my heart. Come and live on the inside of me. Take all of my broken mess and make it clean again because I believe in you. I believe that you're real. I believe that you gave Jesus to die on a cross for me so that I could know you. So forgive me of my sin and everything that I've done wrong so that I today can follow you. I'm choosing to give you my life, to give you my heart as from this day forward, I'm calling myself a Christian. And everyone said, Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope that you can take that message and apply it to your life. Also, don't forget to take a moment to subscribe, rate and review this podcast. To get connected or stay more connected to the life of Liverpool One Church and learn how you can join us live, visit liverpoolonechurch.com. Thanks again for joining us and we hope to see you again soon.